Welcome to the second episode of A Conflict of Interest. I want to thank all of our listeners and subscribers to this podcast. I'm grateful for your support, and I'd love to hear your feedback. You can reach me on my Lewis Brisboy email address or on Twitter at mjacopelli5. I want to thank again our guest from the first episode, John Duty, a member of the Outstanding Trial Team at Lewis Brisboy. And I think he gave us some really incredible advice and relate interesting experiences that we can take and add to our toolbox to help us all become conflict competent. I am so excited about our guest today. We're going to have a conversation with the managing partner of Lewis Brisboy's Newark, New Jersey office, Colin Hackett. We're going to talk about team building, trust, and relationships. But before we get started, uh, I wanted to mention something that I read from Craig Rund and Tim Flanagan's work, Building Conflict-Competent Teams, and it really piggybacks off some of John's sentiment about the importance of listening uh, and some of the um, discussion that we had with Colin about the importance of listening. And so Rund and Flanagan note, when listening for understanding, it's imperative that you listen with the intent to understand rather than with the intent to respond. This subtle difference in your intent may be indiscernible to the speaker in the moment, but profoundly obvious when the listener becomes the speaker. When you are listening to understand, your mindset is to hear the speaker's meaning. When you are listening to respond, your mindset is to communicate back to the speaker. When listening to understand, you are focused solely on grasping the entire message that the speaker is sending. Your purpose is to comprehend the words, understand the context, and appreciate the emotion of the speaker. You are not yet interested in or contemplating what you're going to say in response. Responding, although incredibly important, comes a bit later. But for now, the only thing you want to communicate to the speaker is your complete desire to get what he or she is saying. And they suggest approaching listening with a sense of curiosity and wonder because listening to respond is just tantamount to biding your time until it's your turn to speak. So as we continue to explore this conflict awareness and conflict competence in this podcast, I'm going to encourage us to listen with the intent to understand rather than with the intent to respond. Colin, welcome. Colin Hackett is the managing partner of the Newark, New Jersey office of Lewis Brisboy. The Newark office of Lewis Brisboy has approximately 32 attorneys. It is an extremely diverse office with its attorneys speaking seven different languages. Colin attended Boston University playing on the men's soccer team and then went on to Seton Hall University School of Law. He's an experienced trial attorney and a member of the prestigious American Board of Trial Advocates. Thank you for joining me, Colin. Thank you, Michael, for having me. I'm, I'm excited for our conversation, but I, I want to start off quickly uh, by asking, what are the qualities that make a good team? Uh, well, in my opinion, the qualities that make a good team are, first, not trying, things will inevitably go wrong with a team, and when they do, not trying to find fault as whose fault was it on the team that something went wrong, rather to collectively look to try to fix the error. Um, second, allowing each person of the team to do or, or to, to perform their particular role instead of you dictating what to do or trying to do everything yourself. Uh, allow them to, to, to do what they have to do. Colin, I, I said in the intro that you played on the men's soccer team uh, at Boston University. Do you see any similarities between what makes a good team in an office setting and what makes a good team in an athletic setting? 
well, that was a long time ago and about 45 pounds ago. <laughs> so I'll try to jog my memory as far as, as that. Um, I, I, I think it is the same as, as the answer to my prior question is, is not finding fault. Um, when any goal gets let in, ultimately it's, it's the goalie's fault. He let the goal in, but not laying blame, um, not, not trying to find fault or to lay blame with someone on the team. Just realize there, an error has been made and work collectively to fix that. And the same goes in, in an office and on a case. Um, nothing good comes of, 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 of finding fault. Everyone knows whose fault it is, particularly the person who made the error. Uh, one thing I've never done is I've never asked someone why they did something wrong. Um, they know why they did it wrong. It was simply an error. They did it wrong. Uh, berating them and asking why, why did you do it this way, I don't think comes of any good. So, so how do you address it? If, if you don't tell them, if you don't address it directly because they know what they did wrong, how do you address it? Well, they, they, uh, we, 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 we fix it collectively and say this is how we're going to fix it and this is why it has to be fixed. But going back to water under the bridge or the past and saying, well, why did you do it this way? Um, they're going to know the right way to do it when you fix it. Um, it again, to me, why they did it a certain way uh, when, it's, when it's wrong is really unimportant. They're going to know the right way to do it is it important how that feedback is delivered? Um, I suppose communication is, is always important. Yelling, screaming, obviously, it, it doesn't work. I, I, or bullying, uh, particularly when there's a, uh, I think, a gender gap or an age gap, that particularly doesn't work. Um, however, when you're talking to a peer, a 25-year peer or a 27-year peer with yourself, I think you can sometimes talk a bit harsher, and I think sometimes you have to talk a bit harsher simply because they are your peer, and they've been around longer, and, and your relationship, particularly if you've known them for a very long time, is different. Uh, it's much different than you have with a far younger uh, attorney or staff member, and it, it, it's, I think it's important to keep that in mind. You can't communicate to everyone the same way, and for, for, for some people you have to be, or some types, you have to be particularly sensitive to that. How else do you help young attorneys grow and develop in addition to the feedback that you're giving them? Um, I don't think this is anything unique, but giving them encouragement uh, and opportunities, um, not, not that attorneys or young associates are similar to dogs, but my experience with dogs is that positive reinforcement works far better than any negative or punishment um, and, 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 and encouragement. When they do something positive, tell them that. Um, obviously, if something is done incorrectly or wrong, they have to be told that too but they can simply be told it's wrong. They don't have to be belittled or criticized for it or made to feel small. Uh, 
the converts, when they do something correct and, 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 and you praise them for it, that's something they're going to remember and they're going to continue to do it correctly. Um, and, and going further, or rather along with that opportunity, I know that sounds sort of like a cliche, but um, I, I know firsthand the, the associates that seem to have more opportunity, uh, they seem happier, they, they seem more uh, ambitious, I don't know if the word's ambitious, but they seem happier with their job, more willing to do more than those that do not have as or those that do not appear to have as much opportunity. And that really comes from the people they're working with. And granted, it comes from themselves too, because in order to be given opportunity, you have to show that you're able to handle more and more things. So it's, 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 it's two-sided. So, so Colin, you talk about giving attorneys, young attorneys, opportunities, um, but can you give it to them without trusting them? And then how does, how does trust play a role yeah. in, in opportunity? Well, when you use the word trust there, I, I see it being used as two, two different, or at least in my mind now, I'm picturing it as two different things. Trust, as far as the ability to do something, they've shown that, so you trust that they can do it. I, I don't look at trust like that. I look at trust as, as telling me the truth. Um, I've had occasions where people have told me things were done when they weren't done and it wasn't a mistake they just forgot is they told me they were done but they weren't done that I find is a real problem because it creates a huge amount of more work for the team because you can't try now everything has to be checked and double checked when they say the light is red the light may not have been red it may have in fact been green um, when they say something has been done something hasn't been done now, one of the reasons why they may be saying that, though, is they are frightened or, or, or they feel the, the, the reaction if they tell you something was not done, they, they, they're uh, afraid of the reaction they're going to get. So I ask myself, well, do they feel that way, not telling the truth because they're frightened of the reaction? I don't think so. When that trust breaks down, it's a very hard thing to rebuild. Can it be rebuilt? Yes, but it's difficult. It, it has to be shown over time. You've been asking about the team analogy. Oh, you have to trust your teammates to do their role and certainly to be honest if you have an injury. Say, I have an injury, I can't play. Don't go out there and hobble around. Say, I'm fine when you're not. Um, so trust for the team, particularly in what we do, is hugely important. Uh, again, mistakes are made, but I view trust as simply telling the truth. If you don't know the answer, I will find out the answer, but not, yes, it's been done. Colin, Colin I love that response. Trust is telling me the truth. And then you talked a little bit about uh, the breaking of trust and rebuilding of trust. When the trust is broken, do you confront them about it? Do you let them know? Absolutely. How do you do that? I simply say I don't trust you, and that's that's a that's that's a that's not a good thing, and it's you, you have to tell them, and and, and and that's something where you have to have a, a, a difficult conversation. And, and I don't trust you, um, and, and, and there's 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 an instance. They particularly, it's not just a broad I don't trust you. It's 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 
It's because you've misrepresented things. And you explain why that's a problem. It's a problem because we rely, we then convey messages to our clients. We convey messages to the court. We can then convey messages to our adversaries based on the trust we had in being told X or Y. Now when that trust is broken, um, put aside the, the, what ramifications it may have with the client, the, the court, or the adversary, it, 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 it's hugely problematic because you need to, you cannot rely on anything you're being told uh, or it's being written to you. Can it be fixed? Anything can be fixed. Yes. That, though, is one of the more difficult things to fix and more, more difficult things to fix and time-consuming. Writing a brief, fixing a point, those are easy to fix. Trust is a, is a difficult thing to fix or the, 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 when the trust is broken. So I view that's what I consider trust. I don't consider trust as do I trust someone who's going to do the deposition correctly that's that's a skill and that's that's a skill set i don't view that as trust i I view that as if they've shown they're able to do it they're going to do it um i would say it's you're confident they're going to be able to do it colin what what are you looking for when you're building your team um now, when, we say, when you say a team, a team can be a team of two. It, it can be a, an attorney, an assistant, for instance, a secretary or a paralegal. It can be a team of a group, people handling cases collectively. Uh, it can be a team of the individual office. So, for instance, we have a, a team in New Jersey. And a team can be, I suppose, firm-wide. Uh, so there's different types of, of sizes of teams. Um, my own experience um, against people who, who, who aren't looking to, to lay blame or find fault, I find they work best in a team. And people who are willing to let others do, to perform their role in the team as opposed to um, dictating it or micromanaging it or trying to do it all themselves. And, and, and I've seen that in I guess 27 years people who try to do everything themselves and they can do that but that team is going to stay very small and maybe a team of one if they're doing everything themselves what does a leader in a law firm look like? a leader of a law firm does not look like me but <laughs> um, a leader in a what are some of the firm, what are some of their qualities? Oh, that's a, a I would say uh, a wise man in New York once told me, you need to hire people that are smarter than you. Um, in my case, that's quite easy. In his case, that was probably a little more difficult. But I wouldn't say smarter, but people that can do things better than you. The, 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 the different aspects of all what we, what we do, look for people that can do things better than you. Um, I've seen offices or firms where the people in charge of, we'll say, building a team were very reluctant to hire people that could do things better than them. And then when they did, they were somewhat intimidated or or viewed them as a, I wouldn't say an adversary or competition. I would say it's the opposite. You want to hire people that can do 
things better than you. In fact, if you can fire, hire people who, who can do everything better than you, you are better off. Um, so that's what I would say. Uh, building a team, you want the best people you can get, in particular if they do these things much better than you. How can a leader, a managing partner, either positively or negatively affect the culture of a workplace? Um, well, I think they can affect it positively and negatively. Um, the culture, culture, I used to think that was, uh, particularly before I moved firms, that was all cultures were the same because everything is just a law firm. That I realized is not the case at all. Culture is important. And I suppose it does come from the top down. Um, positively and negatively. Um, if you're asking me specifics of positive and negative, uh, I think we all know what those are. Well, well, I'll ask you specifically. You know, you are the managing partner at this firm and you are a, a leader here. What are some of the steps that you have personally taken to build a positive culture within your team? Well, I may be a leader in the office as far as the New Jersey office and and then we're using the aspect of team, I'll say we're considering it as office-wide, although I do the same thing with the attorneys I work with. It's nothing you haven't heard. It's, 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 we're here a lot of hours, a lot of times. It should be a pleasant environment. Um, as pleasant as possible, the nature of what we do can somewhat be stressful for everyone. The, the staff, the attorneys, everyone. And so it should be a positive place as much. It should be a friendly place. We don't have to all be friends, we don't have to share our personal lives, but you should at least enjoy being here. Um, people shouldn't feel uncomfortable in any way being here. And, and, and I think I take some pride in, in that not being the case here in New Jersey. It is a pleasant place. Hence, you even being here today, you like to come, as far as I can tell, to New Jersey. I, I think people, despite it being Newark, New Jersey, when they come here, they have a pleasant experience when they're handling their cases out of the office. And it's just the vibe. The vibe in the office is positive and pleasant. And I think that comes, I, again, not to sound fawning from the firm, it's generally a pleasant place to be. Part of, part of your responsibilities is to make sure that all those members of your team uh, that you brought aboard or, or that are here are growing and are developing. How do you not forget about some of the quieter team members, the ones that, that may, may get lost? Um, I personally don't view quiet as a, as a liability um, I view it as an asset. Um, I think if you yourself, not the crowd I'm talking, we're talking to, but you personally look around, uh, the people. Uh, many people are quiet. People who who are leaders in the firm are quite quiet, I believe, and I've taken from that. Uh, they listen. And I personally am working on that. As lawyers, we like to talk a lot, and we talk a lot. When we go to trial, we're the ones doing the talking. The jurors are not talking back to us. Uh, so. 
Um, again, quiet to me is, is an asset, not a liability, because quiet means you're listening. Uh, I certainly am working on listening more than talking. So you said, what do we do about quiet people? I don't think quiet people, be they staff members, associates, or partners, go unnoticed at all. I don't, again, I don't differentiate in my mind a quiet person. I mean, I differentiate it, but I don't think that's a liability by any means and that they need to be brought out in any way. A little um, self-reflective question. How, how do you, how do you, want your team to view you? Fair? If we had to put one word? And, and the, the employees that you supervise, what would they say about how you handle conflict situations? I would say, I would ask them, and I think I tried to do that, say, we talked about before, there are instances where things happen, tensions are flared, just to try to take a longer view. Whatever is happening will be resolved. In most cases, it will be fixed and corrected, and there will be no real negative ramifications in what we do. Again, I view any opportunity to, to fix something as, as an opportunity with clients, with the court. It's an opportunity. So I would simply ask when there's a conflict, I ask them to take a longer view. Not that the brief wasn't filed in time. It will be corrected. And in a minute, in a few minutes, in a day, in two days. But you're going to have to live with your, if, if, you, if, you, if you belittle someone or, or create something more than it is, for a much longer time. And the ramifications of that will be greater. Just to take a longer view of the conflict and, 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 and take a deep breath. And I'll say, Feel free to come in my room and, or my office and give a primal scream. Don't scream at the person. You can scream at me, you can come in the office, but take a longer view. You're going to have to work with these people or this team, as you should. You just talked about you know, missing deadlines or revising briefs. I think in the law, there are some added pressures uh, that we have, you know, including the billable hour, uh, deadlines with the court, the court orders. Those are some added pressures. Um, how does that affect the team? How does that affect mentality? How does it, that affect uh, workplace culture? Sure, I think with, with, with the team, like any team, you, you, a, team a, a, a team will have veteran members on a team. Uh, the teams that are successful have veteran members because they have perspective. Uh, I learned this is, is most things can be fixed um, when the team, if it has younger members or, or, or less experienced, they may think it, it, it can't be fixed. Most things can be fixed in what we do, uh, particularly the veterans. It can be fixed. It's not the end of the world. So you, you try to convey that office-wide and you hope your colleagues and your partners do the same. Um, I, I request for advice from you, Colin, and it's you know, personal and, and my team. Uh, it, we have young parents throughout our firm, and especially on, on my team, and there is 
you know, not only the struggle with the billable hours and the requirements and all that, but there's a struggle with the balance between home and work life that I, I see a lot of attorneys have difficulty with. Do you have any advice, any uh, guidance, any, any thoughts on, you know, as, as uh, someone who can talk to younger attorneys about, you know, how to balance work life and home life? Um, a wise man I knew at my old firm, God rest his soul, Keith Von Glan, who I think one year tried 25 trials. When I had my first trial, he came to me and he, he taught me a lot about trials. But the one thing I truly remember him saying after I had my first child, he said, Colin, when you go home from work, don't ask your wife what she did today, but simply say, how was your day? And that's worked like a charm ever since. And I'm proud to say I've been married 27 years. And again, that's worked like a charm. Having said that, unfortunately, I've seen there's no silver bullet. There's no magical answer to that. It is a grind. The other thing I can think of is, is when you're in the doctor in the box at 9.30 at a quarter to 10 at night with one or two young kids, and you and your wife or your wife or your husband and, your, and you are sitting there, this too will pass. Hmm. Those days will pass and it does get easier. Is there, is, thanks. Is there is there a leader in your life that you uh, look to for guidance and inspiration? A leader in my life? Uh, no, not in particular. I, I look. I, you know, I see a lot of different people and take from them for the the, the bit I do here, and I'm always learning. Uh, again, I think the, what I'm learning now is to listen much more, talk less, and that's difficult for me but I'm trying my best. But I, I noticed that uh, certain leaders, they do a lot more listening than they do talking. And again, I'm trying to work on that. We, we spent a lot of time during this uh, conversation about you being kind of a designated leader as the managing partner of the Newark office. Um, but there could be hidden leaders throughout all, all teams. How do you be a good teammate? Um, I think being a good teammate is, is, is encouraging. It's like it, it's encouraging others. Uh, it's encouraging others to, to again do their best, to be positive, and to give them opportunities. Um, we spoke with someone yesterday, a potential hire, and the woman felt she just wasn't getting opportunities. People want opportunities, and you have to be able to give them opportunities. You also have to be able to give them instruction. Some, you have to spend the time. It's, 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 it's like anything. If you put the time in with younger attorneys, you will get the reward. And it, it's not always easy. It takes away from what you're doing. But you will get the reward. If you don't put the time in, it's rare that you're going to be rewarded with that, that. Some of the things we've talked about, you're going to be rewarded perhaps with trust, with ability to, to, to the trust you have in them doing things you need them to do. Um, I guess it's all hand in hand. Um, so for being a good teammate, the same applies to someone who's leading the team, if, 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 if there is such a thing, and someone who's on the team. You have to, 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 to allow them to do what they need to do. 
to give them the rope, perhaps to hang themselves, so to speak, but you need to give them the rope uh, to do what they have to do. Colin, I think that's a, a good place to stop. I, you know, I want to thank you, and I, I want to read you a quote from Brene Brown, and she said, we desperately need more leaders who are committed to courageous, wholehearted leadership and who are self-aware enough to lead from their hearts rather than unevolved leaders who lead from hurt and fear. And Colin, I would just want to say that we need more leaders like you. So thank you for being a part of this podcast. Um, and thanks to everyone for listening. Um, and you know, Colin, thanks for sharing your experiences. Thanks for sharing your insights, exploring these conflict issues uh, with us. And until the next time, this was a conflict of interest. <laughs> thank you, Michael.